0: Be subject to your masters with all respect, because in doing so we recognize that we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Being subject to authorities silences the ignorance of the lost world. Being subject to earthly masters demonstrates that we are servants to the eternal Lord, the shepherd and overseer. Likewise, wives, your subjection to your husbands. In respectful and pure conduct is a display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The overarching principle in all of this comes from chapter 2, verse 13. Through the end of this chapter is that the submission and suffering of Jesus is our model, our example as a disciple. He is the supreme example of submission and suffering. To live like Christ, we are not to overthrow the convictions of the world. But we are given the freedom to live holy lives even in the midst of suffering. Now, before we take a look exactly at what Peter says to wives, I want to make one I want to make one important observation here. You may notice, and I mentioned this in the last two messages. But in neither the passage about our subjection to governing authorities, nor the passage about servants being subject to their masters, in neither one of those does Peter give instructions to the authorities or the masters. Not a word. But to husbands, he speaks. He tells us in those passages only to be subject to them. But in this passage, Peter does speak to husbands, directly to husbands. He says, husbands, show honor to your wives. So while Peter is continuing his illustration about our submission to the holiness of Christ and our call to suffer in holiness of life, Peter recognizes that while the institutions of government and even the institution of servanthood are governed by God. Only the marriage institution represents the relationship between his son and his son's bride, which is the church. I want us to keep that in mind. I'm going to talk about that more in a few minutes. So let's walk through this passage. <clears throat> I just want to make a few brief comments and observations. As we do, the first word is "likewise." First word, chapter chapter three, verse one. Likewise, this ties this statement to the context of submission Peter has been presenting in the last several verses. Peter, as I said, is not introducing a new topic like marriage; he is continuing the topic of how a Christian should live in this world, abstaining from the things that war against our soul and keeping our conduct honorable. And he says wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now like the issue of slavery differs in the context of the first century Greco-Roman world and the 21st century U.S. culture, so are the differences in understanding the culture of marriage. But Peter's words remain instructive for us. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Peter here is teaching the creation order of both men and women and husbands and wives. He is not saying that all women are to be subject to all men at all times. He is saying that within the covenant marriage context of one man married to one woman, a wife is to submit to the headship of her husband. God's desire and the biblical standard for for marriage is that both husband and wife would be Christian but Peter recognizes that this is not always the case to the Christian single person Peter would say here Paul will tell us more explicitly we look at this and we say it doesn't have anything to do with me because I'm not married well yes it does To the Christian single person, the Bible says do not marry a non-Christian. And to the non-Christian, I would say that it teaches us that if you're dating a Christian, don't profess (coughs) some false sense or false faith so you can stay with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Genuinely come to Christ if that is what He is calling you to through repentance and faith. When your relationship with Christ is healthy, only then... Will your relationship with a spouse be healthy? However, many marriages, both today and in this culture, were not set up, if you will, so that a, married, a husband and a wife were both Christians. In this culture, as a matter of fact, marriages were not based on romantic feelings of love. Most of the time, they were arrangements between families. In most instances, instances, neither their bride nor their groom chose their spouse. This lends weight to what Peter says when he tells wives, confessing wives, to be in subjection to their husband. Even, he says, even if some do not obey the word. That is a powerful testimony coming from a wife. Indeed, many people in this culture would still be paying homage to to the Roman pantheon of gods. This is a difficult reality for wives if their husbands are continuing to practice pagan worship rituals. Peter's com- commendation to these wives is one of humble adorning. He says, Adorn yourself humbly, not, not with these outlandish embellishments. Paganism, much like today, much like the paganism of today, put a high premium then on external appearances. The Roman goddess of love, who was also the goddess of beauty, her name was Venus. Like her Greek equivalent Aphrodite, she came to symbolize power and beauty and prestige and prominence. One can see, again, much like today, the temptation to exaggerate external adornment above the internal. That's why Peter says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding you the putting on jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which and the sight of God is very precious. Again, we need to be careful here. We need to use caution in our interpretation and application of this passage. This does not mean, ladies, that you can never style your hair or wear jewelry. It does not mean that you cannot wear clothing in the style of the culture in which we live. What it does mean is that what you And by extension, we all put on our outer bodies should never detract from what God is putting on in our hearts. As followers of Christ, we are new persons. We are new creations. We are raised to walk in newness of life. As Christians, Jesus has created a new heart. Our clothing, and in this passage, wise particularly, clothing is not to attract attention to ourselves. Provocative dress and modest clothing, an overabundance of shiny jewelry, features of the way one presents herself, does not lead to holiness, does not lead to submission, as the way Peter is calling all Christians. Indeed, Peter says, adorn your hearts. Adorn the inner person, the hidden person, with an imperishable, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. Wives, and I would include girlfriends, and any of those seeking a relationship. You may say that if I adorn the hidden heart, I'll never find a desirable husband. My counsel on that would be God finds your gentle and quiet heart very precious. And if the man you are seeking does not find precious what God finds precious, why would you want to pursue him anyway? Wives, Peter is clearly helping us see that the way to a man's heart because he's talking about her relationship to her husband, particularly one who does not obey. Peter is helping us see that the way to a man's heart is through your heart when you put on the heart of God. Adorning your conduct as honorable is far more important than adorning your body as beautiful, at least according to worldly standards. Peter then offers an example of Sarah. She obeyed her husband Abraham. Now we know their story. We know their story from the book of Genesis. They were not always the ideal family. They had struggles. Sarah was a strong woman with strong character. Yet she submitted to her husband. And for that she's honored. I do want to note one more point here before I make some application on a broader scope. Look back up at verse one. Peter says, Wives be subject to your own husbands. So that if even it so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be run without a word by the conduct of wives. He says something almost a a twist of the way he uses his words. He says, unbelieving husbands may be won without a word to the word by the conduct of their wives. Peter is saying if these men men disobey the word of God, they likely will not heed the words of their wife. Peter is making a point here that I think he takes from some of the Proverbs regarding the relationship between husbands and wives. Now bear with me as I read these passages of Scripture. I am not being critical. I'm not being cynical. But Proverbs chapter 19, verse 13 says, a wife's quarreling is a continuing dripping of rain. Proverbs chapter 2, I'm sorry, 21, verse 9, he says, the, the author though says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Those are some of the negative ways that Proverbs describes a troublesome marriage. Here are some positive ways that he describes marriage. In Proverbs chapter 12 verse 4 he says an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. He says in verse 18 or chapter 18 verse 22 he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 5, he speaks of this relationship, verses 18 and 19, where he says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a lovely deer, as a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always by her love. Wives, your works carry tremendous weight in your husband's lives. Now certainly, there is a time, as Peter will say later in this letter, to speak the gospel. There is a time, Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason of your hope, but do it with with gentleness and respect. But especially for wives, seeking to love their husbands to the Lord, those husbands who may not be Christian, your testimony begins with your pure conduct, from your pure heart, and not from your voice, even though you may speak the truth. Peter recognized this among pagan men of his culture, and it's still true for many men today. We see beauty, and if we are distracted by a facade, of external decorations that have no depth, and many words that at least to us have no meaning, we may never see the true beauty, not only of your hearts, but the true beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want to make a broader context here, a broader application here. Marriage is one of the most weighty institutions of the Bible. God established marriage in the Garden of Eden in the purity of the innocence of Adam and Eve. The standards of marriage never change throughout all of Scripture. One man and one woman in a lifelong covenant relationship with God. There is a deeper importance, though, to marriage because it not only portrays God's plan to procreate those who bear His image and the offspring of a marriage, it also displays the relationship between Jesus and the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And as such, the church, sadly, we have taken to adorning ourselves in worldly defined beauty. And we have abdicated too many times the call of God to adorn our hearts with purity and gentleness the church at least not what we would typically call a good church they're not often marked by qualities of submission and subjection we're not marked by suffering as Jesus suffered and we're not marked by humility and holiness instead too often we are marked by extravagance and adornment our worship is marked by talent and shows, suspense and entertainment. Now, certainly we should seek to worship the Lord in excellence of all that we do. It's just as simple for the church to be marked by laziness and apathy, and too often we're just as guilty of that. But church, let us take guidance as the bride of Christ from Peter's admonition for wives. To be subject to their own husbands. Our husband. Is Jesus. He died for his bride. He rose again to secure her love for all of eternity. He suffered for her affection. And he empowers and protects his bride. As she suffers today in a world marked by evil and darkness. We must remember all three of Peter's examples have one commonality. Jesus is our king and our subjection to earthly authorities marks our subjection to the king of kings. Jesus is our master and our subjection to his lordship is marked by our subjection to our masters in this world. And Jesus is the husband of the church. And our subjection to earthly husbands, examples, our subjection to Him. The key to all of this comes in chapter 2 verse 21 when, when Peter says, to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. That you would follow in his steps. Now. Husbands. Where Peter does not address kings or masters. He does address us. Verse 7. Likewise husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word likewise means that everything Peter has said about citizens, servants, and wives is for husbands too. Husbands, if we think there is no measure of submission on our part even to our wives, we're mistaken. Ephesians 5.21 demands mutual submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, it will not look exactly the same. Husbands, you are the spiritual leader of your homes, and we need to exercise that leadership with the grace and dignity under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to this end, wives willingly submit to that leadership. In this vein, Peter commands husbands to show honor to our wives, to live with them in an understanding way as the protector of our wife and the protector of our marriage. Why? Peter gives us two reasons. First, he says, there's no partiality in God when it comes to grace. Men or husbands are not somehow recipients of a greater grace than women or wives are. The same grace that saves men saves women. The same grace that gifts men gifts women. The same grace that holds men secure in their faith holds women. Paul affirms this in Galatians chapter 3 when he says For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For all are one in Christ. Now, This passage does not teach that there are not differing roles for men and women, husbands and wives, in both the home and the church. But these verses do teach that God's grace is not measured differently according to gender. Secondly, Peter says that our prayers may not be hindered. men listen to that that our prayers may not be hindered does God hear and answer our prayers based on how we respect and honor our wives according to verse 12 just a few verses later a few sentences later it may well mean just that verse 12 says for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I fear for some of us we may have never had a prayer get past the ceiling. And for the rest of us, we have seasons where our prayers, and I believe by our by extension, our worship has been hindered by our lack of honoring our wives which God says is evil fellow husbands and even men who aspire to marry one day we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church Christ loved the church in such a way that he surrendered the splendors of heaven To live on this earth. And he lived a life of rejection. Suffering. And ridicule. So that he could die as our substitute. And raise again. As our hope. Sometimes. Both being a wife. And being a husband. Includes suffering. As Christ suffered but this is the testimony that we belong to Christ, that we are walking in his steps. This subjection is honorable conduct. It is abstaining from the passions of the flesh. This is holiness. This is the gospel. A holy God created men and women in his image. He created them for fellowship, He created them to worship Him. But they rebelled and sinned against God's holiness. And sin corrupted every human institution, including marriage. And so God sent forth His Son to claim His bride by living a sinless life, dying a substitutionary death, and rising to eternal life that we could know and walk with him forever. And now he calls all men and women, married and unmarried, to repent and believe. Jesus is the perfect husband. Husbands emulate him in our marriage. Jesus is the perfect example of submission. Wives emulate Jesus in in your marriage I want to close today with a stanza from Psalm 119 this is the final stanza from the 176 verse long song which praises God for his graciousness in his word our submission today in every aspect of our life is our commitment to the word of God As the word of God. authoritative, Without error. The absolute. Final. Eternal. Truth. We submit to God and to others. Even in suffering. By the power of God. As delivered by the word of God. Through the spirit of God. To exalt the son of God. Psalm 119 beginning with verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live in praise. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray, astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Father, this afternoon as we traverse a difficult text, a difficult text to understand the cultural context of the first century, especially as it is applied to the cultural context of the 21st century, Father, we struggle with the idea of submission, period. All of us have a desire to exalt ourselves, to raise ourselves up. It's the very nature of sin, that we could be like you. And so as we walk through a text like this, we recognize there's even more to come after Peter addresses wives, after he's addressed servants, and after he's addressed the citizenship. We come to a passage like this that we're called to follow Christ through subjection and through submission and through suffering. Father, we can only do that in the strength and the power of Your Word. Your Word that we have not left. The commandments that You have given us that are good, that we learn in our Bible study hour are a reflection of Your character. So, Father, I would pray for husbands to honor their wives, to love them the way Christ has loved his church, to surrender and sacrifice for them, to to care and love and protect. And I would pray for wives to humbly submit to the leadership of their husbands, to adorn their hearts with a quiet and gentle spirit, to keep their conduct honorable, so that even if that husband is lost, even if he refuses to obey the gospel, that by her life, she becomes a picture of the truth of Jesus Christ. And through that, then has the opportunity to give him the words of life that you died for sinners. You rose that we could have eternal life. And that that is secured when we repent and believe. I pray for marriages across our nation, across our churches. In so many ways we're redefining marriage. In so many ways we're giving marriage no definition whatsoever. But we recognize that it's important to you. And it's not just important for men and women. It's important for the church of Christ. So may we as a church follow the same commandments to submit to our husband, to adorn our hearts with what is pure and right and good and gentle and holy. That through that you would advance your kingdom's work to a world that is disobeying your gospel. Walk with us as we continue to worship. May these next few months moments, through song and confession and communion, be a time of, of, of invitation, a time of evaluating our own lives, a time of repenting, a time of renewing our belief. We hope in you, we trust in you, we desire to walk with you, in Jesus' name, Amen.